today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. This is the reality of it. That continual back and forth with his friends continues to go on. He speaks, and then Bildad speaks, and then he speaks again, and then Zophar speaks in chapter 20, and then on and on. Job understands, man, I'm not perfect, but he certainly doesn't feel that he deserves what's happening. In the midst of his weariness, he speaks directly to his his friends, uh, again, in, in almost an angry an angriness toward his friends as, as they speak. And yet in all of that, his faith and his belief in God doesn't falter. Suffering doesn't generally occur in a vacuum. You may feel like you're alone, but it's usually for a lack of company. As we see in Job's story, his friends were there, but they failed to offer him the support he needed. Instead of pushing him closer to God and offering encouragement, they focused on criticism. As Pastor David explains in today's message, Job's response was one of justified frustration because he knew that they were misrepresenting God in their poor counsel. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Job chapter 13 as he continues his message, Ancient Problems. dare confess that you're struggling in your life. That's a negative confession. And if you do a negative confession, that's going to compound that negativity upon you. Beloved, that's a new age concept. That's not a biblical concept. The Word of God over and over shows us we can speak the truth. And if I'm hurting, if I'm aching, if I'm scared, if I'm fearful, if I'm sick, if I'm just, man, just totally blasted by what's going on in the world. It's okay for me to speak those things to God because God is much bigger than that situation. And he's able then to begin working in my life to get me off again of the vision of the circumstances around me and get me looking at him. So far in, in, in chapter 11, he comes and he brings all of his complaints against Job. He begins rebuking him on a bunch of stuff. And then uh, in chapters 12 and 14, uh, or 12 through 14, Job again responds again. Look at just a couple of verses real quick in chapter 13, verses uh, 2 through 4. Um, Actually, I'll begin with one, chapter 13. Job is now speaking. He says, behold, my eyes have seen all of this. My ear has heard. I understood it. Yet you know, I also know, I'm not inferior to you. He's speaking to Zophar, the, the, the Namathite, that's again bringing this rebuke to him. But I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to argue with God but you smear with lies because you are all worthless physicians. I love that. Uh, 
Next, <clears throat> next time you go to your doctor and he's not able to take care of things, just quote to him from Job, okay? You're all worthless physicians. Yeah, okay, never mind. Uh, moving right along. Down in verse 13. Be silent before me so that I may speak. Then let come on me what may. Why should I take my flesh and my teeth and put my life in my hands? Though he slay me, I will yet hope in him. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. In other words, I, I, I want to have that discussion with God. He, he can slay me. I'm going to serve him. I want to have that discussion. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to try and correct God. I, I want to I find out why, what, what's going on. I, I want information from God. And if, and if he chooses to take my life, that's okay. I'm, I'm still going to serve him. I'm still going to worship him. That's a peculiar man right there. To be able to say, you know what? If this is the end. That's okay. My God is still in charge. And I still love him. And I'm still going to serve him. Chapter 15, Eliphaz, he comes back in again. And Eliphaz, the Temanite, responded, should a wise man answer with windy knowledge? He's coming against Job here. With windy knowledge, fill himself up with the east wind. Should he argue with useless words or with words which are non-profitable? Indeed, you do away with reverence and hinder meditation before God. For your guilt teaches your mouth and you choose the language of the crafty. Your own mouth condemns you and not I. Your own lips testify against you. Eliphaz, he spouts off all this stuff like, like he's this big guy of, of great wisdom and he's seen all the issues of the world around him and now he's coming and he's making this big judgment against Job. Job's getting pretty well filled up with all of it. Uh, and again, he's, he's done with all this great counsel from all of his friends and he, he continues to speak in chapter 16. Job answers, I, I've heard many such things. Sorry comforters are you all. There's no limit to your windy words. In other words, you're full of hot air. Or what plagues you that you answer? I too could speak like you if I were in your place. I could compose words against you or shake my head at you. I could strengthen you with my mouth and the solace of my lips could lessen your pain. He's fed up with these guys, but he knows that all that has happened is still under the hand of God. Verse 12 and 13 there in chapter 16. I was at ease and he shattered me. He has grasped me by the neck. He's shaken me to pieces. He has also set me up as his target. His arrows surround me. Without mercy, he splits my kidneys open. He pours out my gall on the ground. He breaks through me with breach after breach. He runs at me like a warrior. He says, I don't know what God's doing, but this is the reality. I don't know why he's doing it, but this is the reality of it. That continual back and forth with his friends continues to go on. He speaks, and then Bildad speaks, and then he speaks again, and then Zophar speaks in chapter 20, and then on and on. Job understands, man, I'm not perfect, but he certainly doesn't feel that he deserves what's happening. In the midst of his weariness, he speaks directly to his his friends, uh, again, in, in almost an angry an angriness toward his friends as, as they speak. And yet in all of that, his faith and his belief in God doesn't falter. In, in chapter 20, 
Zophar, he, he, he gets insulted because Job's coming back and talking to them. So Zophar, he tries to, to keep quiet, but now Job's words have made him so angry that he says, now I have to respond. Look, look what he says, verse 20. Then Zophar, the Namathite answered, therefore my disquieting thoughts make me respond, even because of my inward agitation. I listen to the reproof which insults me, and the spirit of my understanding now makes me answer. He says, man, now, now you've gone too far. Now you're insulting me, Job. And so now he's going to attack. Again, these guys that had come to comfort, now they're on the attack mode on it. Chapter 21, Job responds. Chapter 22, Eliphaz accuses. Chapters 23 and 24, Job cries out for God's audience, but he knows he couldn't stand before him. Even if he got God face to face, he wouldn't be able to stand before him. Bildad begins to declare to Job, man, and there's nothing, you are nothing more than a maggot or a worm. Look in chapter 25. Uh, these guys amaze me. Bildad the Shuhite, that little rascal. He says, <laughs> dominion and awe belong to, to him, to God, who establishes peace in his heights. Is there any number to his troops? Again, speaking of God. And upon whom does he, his light not rise? How then can a man be just with God? How can he be clean who is born of woman? If even the moon has no brightness, and if the stars are not pure in his sight, how much less man, that maggot, that son of man, that worm. He's speaking directly to Job. <laughs> He's not helping matters much, by the way. Job lets him know that there in, in chapter 26. What help are you to the weak? <laughs> how have you saved the arm without strength? What counsel have you given to the one without wisdom? And so he goes on and then Job begins declaring the greatness of God in chapters 27 and 28. He speaks on again of, of how the past was so amazing, how, how blessed he had been. That's in chapter 29, how his life is now totally changed. That's a chapter 30. And he speaks about his personal integrity again in chapter 31. And then after all of that, in, in chapter 32, Elihu arises. He's the young guy. Flip over there. We got to find out about this Elihu guy. Chapter 32, when Job's other three buddies ceased, when they ceased answering or arguing with Job because he was righteous in his own eyes, but the anger of Elihu, the son of Bereshel, the, the, the Buzzite, Buzzite, okay, Elihu the Buzzite, uh, of the family of Ram burned against Job. His anger burned because he justified himself before God. And Elihu's anger burned against also the three friends because they found no answer and yet they condemned Job. Now, Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were years older than he was. And when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of the three men, his anger burned. And so Elihu, the son of Barashel, the Buzzite, spoke out and said, look, I'm young in years and you are old. That's one way to gain friends right there. <laughs> Therefore, I was shy. I was afraid to tell you what I think, why I thought age should speak and increased years should teach wisdom. But it's a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives them understanding. The abundant in years may not be so wise, nor may elders understand justice. So I say, listen to me, and I'll tell you what I think. 
Behold, I waited for your words. I listened for your reasoning. Why do you ponder what to say? I even paid close attention to you. Indeed, there's no one who refuted Job, not one of you who answered his words. Do not say that we found wisdom and God will rout him, not man. For he has not arranged his words against me, nor will I reply to him with your arguments. They are dismayed. They, they answer no more. Words have failed them. And shall I wait because they do not speak, because they stop and answer no more? I, too, will answer my share. I will tell my opinion. I am full of words. I bet he is. <laughs> the spirit within me constrains me. Behold, my belly is like unvented wine, like new wineskins. It's about to burst. Let me speak that I might get relief. Let me open my lips and answer. Let me now be partial to no one, nor flatter any man, for I do not know how to flatter, else my maker would, score, would soon take me away. However, now, Job, please hear my speech. Listen to my words. And so he rages and rages and rages against Job. Like I said, chapter 33, chapter 34, chapter 35, chapter 36, chapter 37. All of this is young whippersnapper coming against this man who, a man, he was, he was, he was, he was, he was a mighty man. He was a righteous man. He was a good man that was going through great struggles. But this young guy, he had not only Job all figured out, but he had God all figured out. And he's telling all of these guys how God is. Well, God finally interrupts him there in chapter 38. Speaking from the whirlwind, he demands Job to be brave and to respond to his questions. Now, God's questions here, they're, they're rhetorical. And they're actually intended to show how little Job or any of his friends really know about creation or how much power that, that God has. He's not really expecting them to come up with, with a good answer on any of this. God describes a lot of details about creation. He especially speaks about those two large beasts, the behemoth there in chapter 40 and the Leviathan there in chapter 41. Uh, in, in all of that, he, he speaks to them. Uh, the, Look in chapter 38, verse 12. He says, have you ever in your life commanded the morning, caused the dawn to know its place? Verse 16, have you entered into the springs of the sea? Have you walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? And have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. Verse 31, can you bind the chains of Pleiades? Or loose the cords of Orion? In other words, can you move the stars around Job? Can you lead forth a constellation in its season so that in the wintertime it's showing this, in the spring it shows this, in the summer it shows... Can you do that, Job? Do you even know the ordinances of the heavens or, or fix their rule over the earth? Chapter 39. Do you know the time the mountain goats give birth, Job? Who sent out the, verse five, who sent out the wild donkey free and who loosed the bonds of the swift donkey? To whom I gave the wilderness for a home, the salt land for his dwelling. Verse 13, the ostrich's wings flap joyously with the pinion and the plumage of love. She abandons her eggs to the earth and warms them in the dust. She forgets that a foot may crush them or that a wild beast may trample them. She treats her young cruelty as if they were not hers. 
Through her, though her labor be in vain, she is unconcerned because God has made her forget wisdom and has not given her a share of understanding. He moves on in verse chapter 40. Job answers in verse 3, he says, or verse 4, Behold, I'm insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand to my mouth. Once I've spoken, I will, I will not answer, not twice. I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to add any more. And the Lord answered Job out of the storm, verse 6, now verse 7. Now gird up your loins like a man. I will ask you, I will instruct you, or I will ask you and you instruct me. Will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? Or do you have an arm like God? Can you thunder with a voice like his? Down in verse 15, behold now, behemoth which I made as well as you. Eats grass like an ox. Behold, now his strength and his loins, his power and his muscles of his belly. He bends his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze. Limbs are like bars of iron. Most people, and I agree, I believe that what he's speaking about there literally are dinosaurs. I believe that he's speaking to Job. Do you, do you see how I made these animals? Was Job available to be able to see them at that day? That's what he's asking Job. Eh? You know, the, you, you, you see, behold now, behemoth, which I made as well as you. We could go into that, but you don't have time. Uh, verse uh, no, chapter 41. Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook? Some of you say, well, Leviathan, isn't that just like a, a big alligator? No, if, if you read through chapter 41, I'll, I'll, Every bit of chapter 41 is all about Leviathan, about this great, massive creature that God created, uh, double male as, as armor on him. His, he's, verse 18, he's, his sneezes flash forth light. His eyes are like eyelids. In the morning out of his mouth go burning torches. Sparks of fire leap from him. I, I love answers in Genesis, and I know this is kind of the side trail, but man, their, their study on dragons... And the reality and the truth that there really were dragons within the world is just absolutely amazing. And if you, if you doubt, well, no, that's all, it's all mythological. Believe me, there have been a tremendous amount of studies about that and the reality of that. And even as you read most of chapter 41, I look at that and I say, man, that, that's, that, that really speaks of the very thing. Let's jump to the end here. Chapter 42, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've declared that which I do not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I, I, I don't know. Hear now and I will speak. I will ask thee and do thou instruct me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ears, but now my eyes see thee. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. He got a glimpse of God in the midst of all this, just as God began explaining his majesty, his splendor, his greatness, his power over all of his creation. Man, I've, I've, I've heard of you before, but and now I have a real true glimpse of you. And he just repents at that point in time. Verse 7, it came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my wrath is kindled against you 
and against your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams, go to my servant Job, and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job will pray for you. I love that. Because these guys were saying, you know, Job, if you were as righteous as we were, you wouldn't be in the calamity that you're in. And now God is saying, you guys are so far off base. You need to bring an offering, present it before Job, and let Job pray for you. You see, all things are not as we often see them. We can look at people's lives, and many times we might see a tremendous amount of calamity going on in their lives. And all too quickly, we become like the three friends. Must be sin in your life. Oh, and I've heard that so often from past church experiences. It just causes me to weep sometimes when I hear those kinds of things, particularly when people are saying that to people who are suffering so greatly and some high and mighty, self-righteous, hot air comes and says, if you just had enough faith, that wouldn't be happening to you. There must be some unconfessed sin in your life that you need to deal with, and then you'll get healing. Apparently, they've never read the book of Job. Because I think just from reading the book of Job, suddenly all of our preconceived notions on that kind of thing need to be removed, done away with. And if I see somebody in the band that just, man, it seems like they're being hammered and hammered and hammered over and over. Maybe the reality of the thing is that's just a righteous guy, a righteous woman. And God is once again showing Satan that they are serving him because they love him, not simply because life is good. Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and they did as the Lord told them. And the Lord accepted Job. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. Then all his brothers and all his sisters and all who had known him before came to him. They ate bread with him in his house and they consoled him and comforted him for all the evil the Lord had brought upon him. And each one gave him one piece of money and each a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and a 1,000 yoke of oxen and a 1,000 female donkeys. And he had seven more sons and three more daughters. And he named the first Jemima, and the second, Keziah, and the third, Karen. And in all the land, it just works that way. Uh, Verse 15, and in all the land, no women were found so fair as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his grandsons for four generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. Greatness, the majesty, the might, and the goodness of God. The goodness of God. Even when we go through the stuff. We have a little saying, don't we? God is good. And all the time. Even when you're going through it. Because he has a purpose.
Have you noticed a theme weaving its way through Pastor David's messages and really through the Bible? That theme is salvation. It's Jesus. From the very beginning, God planned for His Son to come save the world from its sins. You find this plan ingrained in His Word, in the lives of the key people of Scripture, and in the words of truth each book provides. We're so glad you're on this journey with us. Through the Bible, we pray you're finding Jesus not just in the text, but in your everyday life, too. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you'll be able to listen online at theopenword.com. There's several messages there, in fact, and many of them go even more in-depth through a verse-by-verse study of each individual book of God's Word. That website again is theopenword.com. Before our time is up with you today, we'd like to turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I wanted to take a moment and ask you to be praying for the ministry of The Open Word. I know God is working through the messages I've been able to share, and He's opening hearts to His love every step of the way. As Chris was saying, this book I'm teaching from is just filled with grace, and I want everyone to know about it. Would you pray that more and more people would come to know the saving grace of Jesus? Would you pray too for all of us who are creating the Open Word program? We want to keep focused on Jesus, not on us. Thanks so much for praying, and thanks for joining me today on The Open Word. Make us more.